0: This Christmas season, we're diving into a brand new series of talks called Fresh Eyes. It's looking at the Christmas story in a brand new way, in a way that pulls it from fantasy into real life. We're going to look at how to deal with unexpected plot twists, how to change your life from the inside out right now. and We're dealing with those really big questions in life. And understanding that sometimes the answer isn't a thing, but it's a person. We're starting a brand new series called Fresh Eyes. We're looking at uh, the Christmas story. Now, uh, before you roll your eyes and go, I know it's Christmas time, but I don't want to hear another Christmas message. Because the truth is, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard a lot. All you have to do, it's an easy formula. You take the number of years that you've been in church. Multiply that by the number of weeks that there are in December before Christmas, and that's the amount of times that you've heard the Christmas story. And you're like, ah, I don't know that I want to do that all again. But, but think about these words from Jesus right here in Matthew 13. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, all the verses and notes are already on it for you. Just open it up, hit the More button, and then Events, and you'll see Engage Church. But this is Jesus speaking to the disciples in Matthew 13. And to the crowd gathered, they said, though. Seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. The disciples were just asking some Jesus, like, how come people don't get it? It's because in the midst of all of this, even though Jesus, the Son of God, is standing right in front of them, they just can't get it because their hearts are hard and their minds are not open. But he said, listen, if you would open your heart, if you would prepare me room, this is the promise in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they here, well, it's chaos out there. Anyone like Christmas movies at Christmas time? And you don't like Christmas movies at all? All right, that's what I'm talking about. Um, okay, what's your number one top like fa- favorite Christmas movie of all time? Elf. Grinch, Elf. Die Hard. Any Die Hard fans? Die Hard. is 100% declared a Christmas movie. I declared it right now. It's on the internet now. It's a Christmas movie. And uh, that's all that we need. I'm an I'm authoritative, I'm an authority on these things. And I've decided that Die Hard is officially a Christmas movie, right? Why not? Bruce Willis is the best looking Santa you've ever seen. And, you know, so last Sunday night at our, our Christmas in November dinner, uh, Johnny, as a way of like releasing uh, the tables to go eat, did a, uh, um, like Christmas trivia, and so he said that the top movie, Christmas movie of all time, uh, does anyone remember what it was? Home Alone. It's Home Alone, and I tried to fact check him on that. And what I've discovered is that the internet is largely divided on the greatest Christmas movies of all time because the internet is the internet, and nobody can agree on anything. And so what what we found out is It's a Wonderful Life kind of moves from positions one to three and just kind of moves back and forth. But the top dog is Home Alone, and you know who's creeping up? Elf. Elf moved right up in there. And uh, so last night, uh, I took the boys, we went to Perkstonie Plain, and we did, uh, they had a family movie night, and we watched Elf for their first time, like the very first time ever seeing Elf. Now, for me, when I watch movies, I don't like to watch a second time. Like, I want to watch a movie one time. Because the second time, I'm like, I, it's, whatever, I've seen it, over it, you know? I just, I'm not the Grinch, Elr. No, Movies are meant to be watched one time. Anyways, so I watch you know, movies, but there's a few exceptions to my own rule that I make, and it's generally around holiday season, and you know, like, I, 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 I can't wait. Like, we watched Elf last night, and my boys were like, so excited and so pumped up, and everyone's like, Dad, did you know that there's a candy cane forest? And I'm like, yes, son. Yes, there is. Because he's six, and that's okay. When he's 12, it's not okay. But when he's six... <laughs> It's totally fine. It's like, yes, son, if you can find it, there is truly a candy cane forest, and you just need to commit your life to finding it. And it's like, that's awesome because they see it in such a different way than I see it because, you know, I've seen it a million times, and I'm like, you know, whatever, just get to the good part, you know, just get to the, you know, we all know is coming, and he's going to break down, spoiler alert, with the sleigh, and it's fine, and yes, James Khan is eventually going to sing a Christmas song, and it's going to all change the world, but... I love because they just they see it for the first time and it's brand new. It's like watching Home Alone, you watch Home Alone and like they care about cheese pizza and all this stuff, and I'm like, I don't care about anything like that. All I wanna see is those guys get hit in the face with a paint can. That's all I wanna see in my life. Because Home Alone is the original fail video. Think about that for a moment. It's the original, it brings such joy to your soul. As a child, that's why you like fail videos now. You watch Home Alone as a child and you're like, wow, I love seeing people get hurt. <laughs> like, I love it so much. Like, if I'm ever sad, which isn't often, but it happens occasionally, I just watch a fail video and I laugh so hard at other people's pain. And it's like, it just helps me. This makes me know that the world is better and I'm a terrible person, but I've come to terms with that. But when you watch a movie like Home Alone and you're waiting for them to get hit in the face with the paint can or fall on the tax, which is amazing. Because how do they get them all out? <laughs> Right? Like, that's uncomfortable. They went everywhere. Um, I don't care about the story. I just care about the paint. Like, I care about the funny moment. So I don't care about the subtle nuances of the story. But when I watch it with Everett and with Kingston, they care about every little detail. And they pick up on the weirdest, weirdest things. But they love it. And they love the small details. And I hope that as we begin to look at the Christmas story this season, that we could look at it with some fresh eyes. Because though we've all heard it or we've seen it a number of times, the truth is we kind of fast forward to the highlight reel moments. Like, okay, just get to the part when the baby comes. It's fine. Shepherds, angels, it's cool. Let's go. And you're like, no, no, no. There's so much nuance. There's so much detail because Jesus is the greatest author of all time. He's the greatest writer of all time. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of, of our faith. There's so much stuff in this story, and I, I even hate to word, use the word story in this narrative, and I hope we can dive into it and pull some stuff out of what feels like a faraway story into our real lives. Does that sound okay with you today? Yeah. All right, we're well, just going to wrap it up for today. And uh... <laughs> See, maybe when I think about Christmas story, you might think of like Silent Night, Holy Night, you know, all that stuff. I think of... Um, Real ridiculous plot twists. You know that moment where the teenager virgin teenager gets pregnant? Plot twist. <laughs> like, I would I would love to see the conversation when she told her dad that she's pregnant with God's baby. Like, I just wonder how that would go. You know, like, we don't think about those things. We're like, oh yeah, no, it's totally fine. She's virgin, and then God got her pregnant, and That's totally fine. What about telling Joseph's parents when they're like, sure, so an angel showed up to both of you. Okay, yeah, nothing happened, I'm sure. What about engagement on the rocks where it took an angel to show up to Joseph to to save this marriage? Like plot twist after plot twist. Hey, Mary, you're going to have to live with shame and condemnation of entire community because nobody believes you about the story about God getting you pregnant. Plot twist. And then let's just talk about the donkeys for a moment in a the manger. There couldn't be any other place. Like, Joseph could not go on Expedia and find another hotel room. Like, there's no other spot for that baby to get born. Just, like, donkeys and goats bleating in the corner. And then, 11 o'clock, people got real concerned because they thought I said goats bleeding in the corner. And I'm like, where is that in the text? I'm like, no, that blood was Mary's. It was crazy. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> splash zone. It's like nuts. And... It's a real life birth in a manger, in a barn. Who does that? Because if I was writing the Christmas story, it wouldn't happen that way. It would happen with pomp and circumstance because Jesus is the king of the earth and he's coming and he needs a palace and a throne room and he needs, like, a doctor. <laughs> right? Not Joseph going, what do, I, what, what do I do? And the donkey's like, Murr. It's like... <laughs> like... I was present at the birth of my children, and I can confidently say that they would not survive if I was the only person walking my wife through that process, okay? Like, there's reason, there's medical professionals. I would not write the story in that way. I would say, hey, you know what? <laughs> like, even think about this. So, like, Moses, who was born and then, in the Old Testament, and then the Pharaoh is killing all of the boys in his age demographic, gets put in a basket, floats down a river full of crocodiles, gets found by the king's, Pharaoh's daughter, and lives in the throne room. See, that's how you write a story where he goes from like rags to riches and he goes into the throne room and he can make change happen. But Jesus is born in the middle of like a gross barn. Who writes stories like that? I don't like stories like that. I don't write those things. I'm talking about luxury, connections, power. I'm talking about like, palaces and like the nations coming, not just random shepherds going, hey, we're probably drunk in a field and saw some angels and thought we'd come say hi. Right? It's like, who who does this? We wouldn't write the Christmas story the way that God wrote it because many times we don't agree with how God is writing ours. You know, you made a list. Probably should have been married by now. Probably should have bought that house, probably should have had that job or promotion, probably should be financially independent by now, probably shouldn't live here anymore. I don't know what your list looks like, but God, I'm not really thrilled. I was supposed to have three kids by now, and I'm still single, so I don't know how that's going to work. right? We're not happy with the way that our life is going, so we can't imagine, we can't be happy with this story because we're not happy with the way our story is going, And you thought there was crazy characters and an angry Herod trying to kill people. Like, listen, we all got crazy uncles. We all got a crazy cast of characters in our own life. We got plot twists. But I, I don't know about you, but there comes a tipping point in my life where I'm just tired of plot twists. I'm like, listen, I don't need any other drama. I don't need other any problems. I'm just trying to move it forward. God, why is this stuff happening? How do we handle the chaos of life when plot twist keeps coming after plot twist where it just feels like everything is crazy and all I'm trying to do is, is just follow Jesus, but things are going nuts? Can I tell you today that Christmas is a reminder that God can be trusted with writing the story of your life. He can be trusted. You can trust Jesus with writing the story of your life. You wouldn't write it this way because if you were to write it, it would be very comfortable and it would be very nice, but you probably wouldn't accomplish much with your life because you were so busy enjoying the comfort and niceness. Sorry, too real? So I want to dive into this Christmas story, which we sounds like Christmas carols, but at the end of the day, feels like Chaos, that is the Christmas story. If you've got a real Bible, paper one, who's got one? Did you go to my bag and get that? No. Okay. <laughs> it says your name on it. We'll fact check that later. <laughs> if you've got it, we're gonna go to Luke chapter one. <clears throat> if you're using U version, you're already there, and if you're just reading the screen, Chris is already there. But If you're using a real Bible, if you're going to go home and read this later, uh, New Testament starts roughly halfway through. We've got first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are known as the Gospels, which basically tell the story of Jesus, the real-life account. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's known as the Synoptic Gospels. And the best way I can describe it to you is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are telling the same accounts in a different way from a different camera angle. It's like, you know when you're watching your favorite TV show and they cut to another angle and and when they move to that second angle, you see another detail that you did not see before that connects the dots of the story? That's That's what's happening in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that we got different camera angles and different people pick up different things. Like Luke is a doctor and he cares about the facts and he cares about science and he cares about little tiny details. And so when he writes, he writes in that manner. Matthew is writing to an entirely different audience and Mark was dictating for Peter. So it's like there's all these different accounts that come together to create one complete narrative. I want us to pick this up in Luke chapter 1 in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's Pregnancy. Now I'm just going to stop there. And that's how you know I'm in trouble when I just started preaching the verse and I started four words in. <laughs> Elizabeth is a really nice lady who could never have a baby. She is in her 30s, which doesn't seem that old by our standards. But in this world when the life expectancy is shorter, by the time you're in your mid-30s, there's no possible medical way you're having a baby. Because she probably got married by 12 or 13. So it's not like they haven't been trying for a long time. They've given up on those dreams, given up on those aspirations. Her husband serves as a priest. They're on a rotation. He would go in every once in a while. Crazy story about that as well when they find out they're having a baby. But by some miracle, a miracle of God, Elizabeth gets pregnant. Now, Elizabeth is related to Mary, our protagonist. She's not her direct aunt. She's kind of like that lady that you call aunt, but it's not really your aunt, but it's your mom's third cousin. So it's like related, but, you know, it's like barhead. You know, it's like you're all kind of related, but no one really knows how or why. It's funny because it's true, Kristen. So God sent the angel... Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. This virgin's name was Mary. The, the angel went to her and said, Greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. To which Mary was like, Cool, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now you're like, I don't see anything in the greeting that would cause me concern. Oh no, not the angel showing up in the middle of the night? Lights. Flashing, lights, lights. Right, it's just like shining in your eyes. Your room is illuminated and it's like bright and shining. The angel's like, the Lord is with you. And you're like, was he not before? Or... And are you here to kill me? Like that's always the thought process. Like when an angel, like clearly you've never had an angel show up in your bedroom if you are not terrified by the prospect of it. Most people are like this sounds really nice. Like I would love to meet an angel. Sure, you do that and let me know if your pants are clean after. Okay, like <laughs> it's nerve wracking. You don't know why the entire presence of God, the glory of God, the power of God is showed up in your room and says that God is with you, and you're like, okay, I don't know what that means. What are you buttering me up for something? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Cool. I thought I had it already. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. All right, I'll have a baby. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary does something that's entirely relatable and rational. She's got a great question. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin. In other words, how on earth is this going to go down? Because I'm not familiar with God impregnating people and I'm not sure what that process looks like. Legitimate question. Legitimate question. I'm not certain what this process is going to look like. I thank you for the compliments. Thank you for the honor of letting me know that God is with me, even though I thought he already was. Thank you for helping me understand that he's chosen me and that I'm chosen and I'm called, but I'm just trying to wrap my mind around how this is going to happen. You see, this is entirely relatable because you get into that season of life where God talks to you and you just know that you know that he's talking to you about something and you do it, but you're not getting the results you anticipated. And the promise is there, and the word is there, and the the truth is there, and and you know that you know, but it's just you don't know how it's going to work. And you're like, God, how on earth is this ever going to happen? How am I going to be that guy? How am I going to be that person? How am I going to fulfill that calling? How am I going to make that money? How am I going to pay for this stuff? God, how? What is the process to you doing what you just told me that you're going to do? The angel answered the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God and even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Get this, buckle up, verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. And I'm only stopping because I think I'm probably looking at a room full of people who needed to know that no word from God will ever fail. This is rephrased in the New King James Version. New King James, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. God's calling you to it. He's going to see it through. And he's going to see you through it. How's it going to happen? God's going to make you happen. But did you notice? Did you notice what he did right there? Did you notice the whole Elizabeth thing? Did you get it? See, what happened with Elizabeth is she got pregnant with this miracle baby. What happened with Mary is she got pregnant with this miracle baby. Now, when Mary gets pregnant with the miracle baby, everyone thinks that she's been sleeping around. Everyone thinks she's broken her wedding vows. Everyone thinks that she cheated on Joseph and they can't believe that that guy's still with her because she said that God did it and God made her do it. Yeah, like that's possible. See, if she would have stayed in her own hometown, stayed in her own place, she would have been nothing but despised and nothing but looked down upon and carried nothing but shame. And I can tell you that's not good for a pregnancy. So God made a way where there was no way, and she went and lived with good old Auntie Elizabeth, and she moved in, and nobody cared that the other pregnant lady showed up because they were just so happy that that pregnant lady was a pregnant lady that they were just having a party all the time. And the other pregnant lady, Mary, nobody knew who she was. They just knew that she was another pregnant lady, and nobody knew that it was God inside of her, so they were just like, cool, let's hang out. God created the secondary storyline, the secondary narrative. He made a space and a place where Mary could live in grace, He made a whole other way where there seemed to be no way. But we see, we miss it. We don't, we were like, ah, oh, yeah, we heard it. Who cares about Elizabeth? God cares about Elizabeth because God is knitting together and putting together for you and Elizabeth in the midst of your season, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your heartache, and your heartbreak, in the midst of your success, in the midst of your weakness, so that you can have a space to go to find some grace in the midst of the turbulent time that you call this season of your life. <sighs> yeah, that was really good. And Danny got it, but that was about it. Because here's the thing. We're so sidetracked by our current narrative and our one step at a time that we forgot that Jesus wrote the entire story, the whole narrative. He built the set set, and he made the planet. So he can think about the secondary storyline. He can think about the other narratives. He can think about that crazy cousin who's actually the only cousin that was willing to welcome you in. How's God gonna do this? How's God going to do this with you? How is he going to move you into that next season, that next thing? How's, he gonna, how's any of this going to work out? Well, he's going to do it in a way that you could not even ask, think, imagine, or have dreamed up yourself because we're fo- so focused on the protagonist of the story, that's me, that we forgot that he was writing every other storyline going on around us. God's got you. And he cares about the details and the people The question is, are our hearts open and ready to step into those season and places of grace and into those spaces? Are we open and ready for those relationships? Or are we so focused on getting where we need to go that none of the peripheries matter? This is how Mary answers that angel. See, because when I think of Christmas stories, Often, we quickly go to, silent night. holy night. All is calm. Right? We just like, all is calm, all is right. We go straight there. We're like, wow, that's so peaceful. Could you do that one more time? No, I can't. <laughs> the auto-tune remix is coming out soon. Um. <laughs> That's what we think of, but you know, all this calm, silent night, that's not how this played out in real life. We're talking about chaos. We're talking about a season and nine months of pain and shame and condemnation and trying to figure out how this is even going to work and how you're trying to explain it to your mom that God gave you a baby. When things get real. This is her response to the craziness and to the chaos, and this blows me away. This is her response. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. What? You know, she's probably 14 years old right here. And her response to the angel in the bedroom saying, God's going to get you pregnant with a baby and everyone's going to hate you and you have to explain that to your family is, I'm God's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. How do you respond to uncertainty and fear? I can tell you mine doesn't usually look like that. I can say that the best possible advice that I could give you today is to speak this prayer over the plot twists and uncertainty in your life. That's the best advice I can give you. This is the amplified version of Luke one thirty eight. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. God, you said it. Make it happen. Now here's, what's crazy because we see the Bible as a collection of of stories and narratives. We think that Mary's narrative ends there, and yet it begins this 33-year journey with this son called Jesus, who's the son of God, who's sinless. You think that his brothers enjoyed his, their older brother never sinning? No. They didn't, because it made them feel like the worst people on earth. You know, have you ever had that moment with your sibling where your parents think one's better than you? No? I mean, I only know that because I'm the better one, but... <laughs> She's not here. She's not going to hear this version. Um, <clears throat> that's not a fun place to be when you're always trying to measure up to somebody else. So 33 years, they had to live real life with Jesus, the Son of God, living in their house. You know, you don't think there's any mom pressure to raise the Son of God in the right way? <laughs> hey, God, uh, is it okay if I spank him? Because I don't know if that's socially acceptable anymore. <laughs> so like spare the rod. Uh, anyways. And then the climax of this 33-year journey is her son being beaten to a pulp, crushed, and dying on a cross for the sins of humanity. As if there wasn't some emotional moments there. (laughs) When her son, dangling from the cross with nails in his hands, blood running down, his body pierced for our transgressions, looks down at his mom and looks at his best friend and says, take care of my mother for me. You don't think there's some emotion in that journey? You don't think there's some crazy times and some chaos because the story doesn't end? What about the moment where just two years after Jesus was born, they had to flee as refugees to another country? I can only think and believe that the thing that carried Mary through all of those moments and all of those seasons and all of those storylines was her coming back to this simple prayer in Luke 1, verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done according to your word. When life gets crazy, God, I'm your servant. May it be done according to your word. When you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has spoken. I wanted to remind you today with a short list of a few things that, the, that God has spoken over you. For some of us, this is a reminder. For some, of this, for, for some of us, we're hearing this for the first time. And I need you just to understand how short this list is. It's two slides. But you know when the plot twists and the craziness comes or when the success comes and we're trying to figure out what to do and we don't know what to do, we remember what God has said and we say, God, I'm your servant. According to your word, let it be done. But what is your word? What does God say? Well, I can tell you what God says about you. See, when I read it, I understand that I'm a child of God. That's probably enough right there. But I understand that I'm God's workmanship. Another translation says that I'm God's masterpiece. I understand that I am totally and completely forgiven. Even when I won't forgive myself. I'm totally and completely forgiven when I give it to Jesus. I understand that I'm God's child. I'm Jesus' friend. And then I am a whole new person with a whole new life. So don't let that baggage hold you down when you're up against the chaos and everything's in disorder and disarray and you're trying to figure it out. And those things are trying to creep back into your life. It's like, hold on, I'm a whole new person. I'm living a whole new life. I don't have to be held back by those things anymore. Those chains have been broken already. And God goes on to say that I am a place where God's spirit lives. So when the voice of condemnation says you're not good enough, you don't don't mean enough, God wants nothing to do with you, you say, hold on, God doesn't only want something to do with me. He doesn't want to be near me. He wants to be inside of me because I'm the place where God's spirit lives. You don't come at me with that. Oh, and by the way, because I forgot it, we're reminded that we're totally and completely forgiven because you still don't believe me. Even though he paid the price 2,000 years ago on the cross and we celebrated every Easter, we still forget most of the time that God cares deeply enough for us to take on that punishment for us. I'm created in God's likeness. He doesn't like the way you look. He loves the way you look because you like look like him and he's trying to help you look more and more like him every day. I'm a citizen of heaven, which means I got a whole different set of rules and responsibilities I got access to things that you would not believe and to finish this brief short list I want to remind you today that you and me both of us are greatly loved by God so when the plot twist comes when the narrative changes when you succeed or when you fail and when you don't know what to do, what's next? Remind yourself of what God said. Pray this prayer. God, I'm your servant. I'm just following you one step at a time. May your words may be fulfilled. Can I tell you, I don't think it's a mistake that you've been listening to this. We all go through things. We all wrestle with things. But those things in your past, they don't need to define you if I could encourage you of anything today, take what you've heard, put it into practice. Give it all to Jesus. We're here for you. If you want to connect with me, my personal email is brett, B-R-E-T-T at EngagedChurch.ca. I'd love to pray with you. So thank you so much for taking your time to listen. Have a great week, everybody.